You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Gambling addiction affects 1% to 3% of the general population. How do people's cognitions come into play here? Is gambling addiction responsive to treatment? Can medication help? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is the chair of the APA Committee on Addiction Treatment, Dr. Petros Livones. Dr. Livones, among his many professional duties, is the director of the Addiction Institute of New York. Welcome. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you so much for having me here. Pathological gambling isn't often talked about in, in medical context, but I think there are some, some things we can all learn, even if we don't see these patients in our practice. Uh, one of the things that's most interesting to me is the whole issue of cognitive distortion, how people can kind of talk themselves into things that, that aren't true at all. Uh, what can you tell us about that? The early phases of, uh, of gambling, where things are going wonderfully and people win money, there's not all that much cognitive distortion but as people move towards uh, more losses and uh, more desperation, then the, uh, the cognitive distortions really move in and make the person even more vulnerable to, uh, to further losses and further deterioration. So what kind of distortions do you commonly see? A classic one would be the, uh, the sunk cost effect. Uh, person loses some money, then gambles widely to recoup the losses, uh, then continues gambling because of the money and the time that they have already spent towards the winning. So the independent rational decisions are ignored and any kind of uh, uh, sane thinking uh, is, is out the window. So that would be uh, you're in Las Vegas, you stayed up all night playing poker, you lost a couple thousand dollars, you lost a good night's sleep, but you're going to keep going because, gosh darn it, I made this investment in money and time and I've got to get it back. Exactly. And people take huge risks uh, uh, to avoid the, the, the losses and to try to recoup the money. So it's not uh, 50-50 anymore. People would actually be uh, playing against odds in order to, to recoup this money, and that is a cognitive distortion. So that's sort of like the double or nothing kind of mentality? Yes, and uh, as we know, things, for example, in the roulette, it's not exactly double or nothing because you have the zero and double zero, so the odds are certainly stuck against you because the, the, the house will always <laughs> win in the long run because they have the odds on their favor. Right, right. So what other cognitive distortions do you see? Well, we see some uh, what we call often the interpretive biases, interpretive biases. Um, this is uh, when uh, we attribute wins to skill and losses to just a fluke. I think that all of us in medicine are a little bit uh, aware of this. If not, uh, we're guilty of doing this. When the patient uh, uh, does well, we attribute this to our incredible skill. And when the patient doesn't do very well, then it must be that the illness was uh, was very uh, strong or, or uh, overpowered all our interventions. So that's an interpretive bias. So with interpretive bias, uh, does that come into play if you... If you lose 20 hands at blackjack and then you assume that you've got to win the next one? Absolutely. That's, that's another one. Again, another interpretive bias where a person feels that a series of losses increases the chance of a subsequent win. Uh, we see that all the time when people play heads or tails. If they have uh, already lost, let's say, four or five times, then they're convinced that the sixth time it will be in their favor. And, of course, the, the chances of winning the sixth time is exactly 50-50. 
if you have already lost, let's say, five times. Now, how about um, temporal sorts of distortions? We have another two cognitive distortions we call the temporal telescoping and what I call the reference telescoping. Uh, temporal telescoping uh, occurs when uh, something that uh, naturally happens every so often, let's say a particular win, uh, the patient starts feeling that it's going to happen much, much sooner than, uh, than probabilistically expected. Uh, the reference telescoping is when a patient starts feeling that something that can happen to anyone in the room will happen to her or him specifically. It's just somehow an, an idea of reference, uh, as we often call in psychiatry, that something that may happen to anybody will actually happen to myself. So is that the phenomenon that we see at the roulette table when the, the crowd gathers, or is that something different? I'm confused by that one. That is uh, what we see in the, in the roulette table as well when you see a, a group of people playing the roulette, but somehow you get this weird feeling that the roulette is going to be nice to you and terrible to everybody else. And the reverse is also true. We see that with adolescents very often when they know that people die uh, out of uh, doing uh, crazy things like uh, riding on the outside of a, of, a, of a subway train, let's say in New York, or driving fast cars, but they feel that it's going to happen to everybody else, but not to themselves. Mm -hmm. So good things happen preferentially to us, bad things happen preferentially to other people. Now, the other thing that I've certainly seen in my patients that have gambling problems are that their their memory becomes a bit distorted. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, when you ask somebody, probably the best question to ask uh, a patient uh, in terms of screening for pathological gambling is um, if they win or if they lose. And patients uh, who may have a, a problem with pathological gambling, they will say, oh, I always win. Very, very strictly speaking, they may only remember the times when they win, and they fail to add or to subtract all the money that they have lost in different, uh, different venues. And people are very shrewd. Actually, our, our brains are very shrewd in, 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 in these recollections where they would say, okay, if I only think about the times that I gambled, that I gambled in Las Vegas, then I win. But, of course, if I put in the times that I gambled in Reno and other places, then I may have lost. Ah, ah. So selective memory. It's very much selective memory. And any other cognitive distortions that are common in this group? Yes, we have another one that we call illusory correlations. When you ascribe causal force to contextual stimuli that are only incidentally associated with a win or loss, meaning that uh, you happen to, uh, to win in, uh, in a particular game of poker, and you think that this was because the dealer was uh, a particular um, ethnicity, let's say, and say, okay, every time that uh, I have a woman with uh, this kind of ethnic background, then I always win, and every time I have a man with that kind of ethnic background, I always lose, which is, of course, totally irrelevant. So when you do determine that a patient has the problem of pathological gambling, um, what kind of treatments do you even start considering? We think about two major categories. We think about the psychosocial treatments and the pharmacological treatments. The pharmacological treatments are in very, very early stages of research, and they are clustered around three types of medications. The opioid antagonists, very much like naltrexone, which decrease the dopamine levels, the uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the SSRIs, who are, that actually increase the effective uh, concentration of serotonin, 
and the mood stabilizers like the antiepileptics and lithium. These are the three major pharmacological strategies. Paroxetine has been studied in, in a, a little more detail. None of these medications are blockbusters, and none of them really have been truly investigated to the extent that we can confidently recommend them. They are truly in the, in the experimental stage of research. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is addiction expert and the recipient of the United States State Department Speaker and Specialist Award, Dr. Petros Livones. We are discussing the treatment of pathological gambling. So, Dr. Livones, it sounds like medicine really is in its infancy. How about other sorts of treatments? On the psychosocial side, we have psychotherapy with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, where we analyze automatic thoughts that the patient may have, and we try to disrupt and replace destructive self-behaviors. This is a classic way of uh, addressing an impulse control disorder and has shown uh, significant positive results. There are other psychosocial interventions. We have 24-hour crisis helplines. We have also uh, Gamblers Anonymous. Gamblers Anonymous is uh, a mutual help uh, group uh, association that uh, is very much modeled after Alcoholics Anonymous. It has more than 1,500 chapters in the United States. And the effectiveness of Gamblers Anonymous is um, something that is being debated uh, extensively in the um, in the professional community. Now, recently I've seen in the journals several uh, case reports of Parkinson's patients developing de novo impulse control problems such as gambling. Uh, what's up with that? That's, that's a fascinating uh, aspect of, uh, of how these different illnesses are all related. When we start uh, treating the brain, we think that we treat one area, and then all kinds of other things uh, start happening. Well, Parkinson's uh, uh, medications uh, increase uh, dopamine levels because of the dopamine deficiency associated with Parkinson's disease. So we give them some uh, exter- um, exogenous uh, dopamine with L-dopa, carbidopa, and then before we know it, the person starts gambling. Sometimes patients get aggressive. Sometimes people even get psychotic. If we think about the pathophysiology of schizophrenia or the pathophysiology of uh, pathological gambling as uh, being highly associated with increased levels of dopamine, then it's not really surprising that by giving all this exogenous dopamine to Parkinson's patients, we may see as a side effect psychosis or gambling. Hmm. And then how do you treat them? Then you should go probably down on the on the dose of uh, of, of exogenous dopamine that you provide for this uh, for these patients, and that is when the uh, titration of these medications becomes very very important. So perhaps we should screen all of our Parkinson's patients for for addictive kinds of behavior. Absolutely, that's something that um, I hadn't really thought about, but uh, that we should add to our. Uh, high-risk patients. Right, right. Now, what, what can non-psychiatrists especially do if they suspect that one of their patients has a problem like this? I would start with uh, one of the screening instruments, either the South Oaks gambling instrument or the, the eight. Uh, and one of these uh, two instruments would be helpful to tell us about the next step. I would suggest that uh, psychotherapy, especially cognitive behavioral therapy is a great 
point to start because it can both give the patient some specific tools of how to avoid risky situations, but also may be able to dig a little deeper and uh, help the patient with uh, possibly uh, depression, anxiety, or other disorders that co-occur with pathological gambling. Is it worth having the patient go to a Gambler's Anonymous meeting? That's always a great idea because patients sometimes say, I don't want to go there because I don't like it. And they haven't even tried it once. If you're lucky enough to be in an area where there is Gambler Anonymous meetings, then by all means, I think it's a great idea to try it out. So thank you, Dr. Livones. We have been discussing treatment strategies for pathological gambling. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, if you'd like more information, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.